it's, it's really impossible for me to truly contextualize everything that we've been talking about for the past four weeks. Um, I'm going to do my best very, very quickly. But, um, but I'd encourage you to, to maybe go back and listen to some of the, the prior you know, teachings on the book of Romans. Um, we have been in it for over a month now, and we're going to be in the book of Romans until the end of May. Uh, now, here's the deal with the book of Romans. It's, it's one of the most intense, uh, uh, doctrinally sound and doctrinally rich books in the Bible. And uh, the Apostle Paul wrote it. And I've been trying to kind of explain our perspective on Romans and I guess how close we're getting to it. Uh, if you, you know, in Google Maps, like if you zoom in, you got the world view, you can see the whole world. Then, then you, you go a little bit more, you see like a hemisphere or whatever, you know, and then, then you go, you see the whole United States and then you go to the state level and then you go to the city level and then street. And, and now you can actually get to the house level and then get in the street and look at somebody's home. Pretty soon there's going to be an actual zoom in through their window to see like what's going on live. But anyway, um, if I can explain sort of how we're approaching the book of Romans, uh, we're definitely not at a world map view of it, but we are for sure not at the looking through your window, <laughs> all right, awkwardly uh, a view of it. We are sort of, we're sort of like at the state level. All right, that's sort of kind of the zooming in. We're, we're basically taking a chapter a week and looking at the big themes of that chapter and then looking at the whole book as a whole and seeing what is it that Paul is trying to communicate to the church in Rome. And so, uh, again, this chapter really shouldn't be taken by itself. Neither should any chapter in Romans be taken just by itself. You've really got to look at the whole book to get exactly what it is that Paul's saying. Again, any, any letter that Paul wrote to churches was meant to be read at one setting. And so then what happens is if we only read one verse, you know, we can kind of take that verse out of context. We could take it out from between the two verses it's in. We can take it out of this chapter, the whole chapter. And then, you know, we could take it out of the entire book altogether. And that's where things get a little bit sketchy because then we begin to pick and choose and sort of just look at things in, in a nuanced way rather than trying our best to look at the entire, you know, point of what they were trying to say in order for us to have a proper view of it. Y'all with me on that? So that's really what our heart is with Romans is to try and look at the book of Romans um, and, and kind of get a, a better understanding of what it is Paul's talking about. Now, here's the deal. The first four chapters dealt with the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. We just took communion and everything that we just talked about, that is the gospel, uh, that Jesus came and lived a perfect life for us, that he was God, that he is God, that he died for us to pay the price that we couldn't pay. And now here we are, we stand in victory over sin. Death has been defeated and uh, we're victorious and it's good news. That's what the gospel means. And so in the book of Romans, the first four chapters is really dealing with the gospel revealing God's righteousness. And by revealing God's righteousness, by contrast, we then see our own unrighteousness. You know, with me? All right, like, like the brighter the light, the, the darker the dark, okay, darkness is. And, and so whenever we see God's righteousness, his, his, uh, his, his judgment is pure, his love is pure, everything about God is so good and perfect that it then reveals how unrighteous, how imperfect we are by contrast. And so the first four chapters really dealt with God's uh, righteousness. The next four chapters, five through eight, are dealing with the, the gospel revealing or, uh, or creating a new humanity. 
creating a new humanity. Did you know that Jesus came and flipped everything upside down in regards to our, uh, our humanity, okay? He opened up heaven, he opened up life to everybody. Um, and so, you know, here we are almost 2000 years later still living in this freedom and proclaiming it and being faithful to it. So uh, in these chapters right here though, especially six, seven, and eight, if we can truly understand these chapters and what it's trying to say, what Paul is communicating to the church, it will seriously change everything about your walk with God. It'll change everything about your walk with God. It'll, it'll, it'll change your understanding of yourself, of, of other believers, of it, it really, it, it, it kind of brings everything down to size. Y'all know we kind of are good at fluffing things up and getting things away from the main thing. And what, what chapters like this, what they do is they bring you back to center and they bring you back in this case to Jesus. And so we want to continue to lean into that. And that's what we're going to do today. We're opening up Romans chapter six, and it's going to be really good. Y'all with me? Yeah. Y'all ready? Yeah. All right. So a couple of things before we, we get into it. I want to read a quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He was a theologian. He said, Look out, uh, looking through the New Testament, you will see Paul emphasizing union with Christ all throughout. We must think of ourselves in a radical new way. If we don't think of ourselves as someone who is in Christ, then we have missed the New Testament perspective of what it means to be a Christian. So today, we're really gonna start looking at the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about one another, about how we think about what it means to be a Christian. And a lot of times people think being a Christian is uh, adhering to a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts, and that's sort of just what Christianity means to them. And that is the exact opposite of what it is. It is not about do's and don'ts. It's about what Jesus did and, and what he is doing in us and through us. And so it's a completely different mindset. And that's what we want to lean into today. So um, in chapter six, Paul is speaking to the Roman church's understanding of how they think of themselves in Christ. We're going to say that quite a few times today. And how that mindset influences how they live and so one last thing before we get into it is I want you to have this picture in your mind of uh, new citizenship. This illustration is this picture in your mind of being a citizen of a new country. So I was born in America. Uh, I sound like I'm from America. I act like I'm from America, right? Really good and entitled. And so, <laughs> so <laughs> come on. <clears throat> anyway. Now, it's not funny for Mississippi, I guess, but it's reality. Come on, guys. As Americans, we just take things for granted. We're just used to it. We assume that, we just assume a lot of things. And so that's our culture, right? But let's say that I was to move to another country and uh, I don't know, France or something, right? They go, I don't know why I'd go there, but I'd go to be a, a citizen of the, the country of France. What happens is my citizenship would change to this new nation, so therefore, the jurisdiction from the old nation no longer applies to me. The, the power, the, the laws of that land don't apply to me any, any, anymore because I'm in this new nation, all right? And even though I might like retain the accent, okay, I might retain certain parts of the culture, I am, I am therefore legally a citizen of this nation and I am becoming more like that nation, right? Like the culture in that nation. And this illustration, of course, applies to believers in the fact that we were born in sin. We were born in the kingdom of this world. Uh, it's all in the Bible. We were born a part of just this nature, this sin nature. 
And then whenever we place our trust, our faith in Jesus, we're justified, we're made right. We are basically removed from this one nation and placed into another nation, okay, as believers in, in God, in a kingdom of God. And therefore, the old jurisdiction, the way that, the, the way that our lives operated, the, the power that we were submitted to is no longer in play. We are now transitioned into this new nation. And so for us, it used to be the kingdom of the world, now it's the kingdom of God. And kind of just take that, keep it in your mind. It's gonna apply to right here, actually, in one of the first scriptures as we read and start in chapter uh, six, verse one. And so the the two groupings of scriptures, one through 14, verses one through 14, and then 15 through 23. And the the first groups of scriptures really has to do how we are... uh, how we are dead to our sin nature because of Christ and we are alive in Christ, again, in Christ. And I hope that by the time we leave here today, you will have a very good understanding of what that means for you personally. Verse one says this, here we go. What shall we say then? Now, again, he's coming out of chapter five. So he's carrying over this thought of we're justified by God's grace and our condition is dealt with by God's goodness. So what shall we say about all this? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase, which of course anybody in their right mind who understands anything about the Bible or whatever would say that's absolutely crazy. And he says the same thing. Absolutely not. By no means. He completely disregards that because even though God's grace is good, just because it's so good and where sin abounds, grace abounds more, we don't live a life that abuses that grace, okay? So up until this point, we've talked a lot about justification, which is the condition of sin. Now we're beginning to get into this this topic, the other side of the gospel coin, which is sanctification, which has to do with the conduct of a believer, because it does matter how we live. But again, a lot of times people get caught up in in how and, and what, versus why, like why do we want to live like Christ? Not just all the things we need to do to live like Christ. And that's what he's gonna talk about here. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Of course not, absolutely not. We are those who have died to sin. When he says died to sin, again, he's talking about that condition, that sin nature. We've died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? I love the way that the message paraphrase puts it. It says, if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or did you not realize we packed up and left there for good? Right, it's, it's like, I'm no longer in the, the nation of sin, but I still have a, a house in the city of selfishness, right? <laughs> like, no, we're not gonna do that. We don't think of ourselves that way. We are, we've left for good. And so, you know, we've, again, our thinking, our approach to this, this will affect the way that we read this entire chapter. Verse three, he says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. He's talking about being united with Christ. And the thing about being united with Christ is that whenever we view ourselves as united with with Christ, it changes our identity. It changes the way that we think. It changes the way that we act. It changes the way that we interact with people. It changes everything about us because it changes the way that we think about ourselves. Our new identity is is in Christ. And um, I'm gonna be very transparent with you. A lot of Christians don't really live like they are in Christ. I'm gonna be even more transparent. 
There was a large portion of my Christian walk that I did not really understand or live like I was in Christ. I had a different mindset. I had a different approach to what it meant to be a Christian. And it didn't necessarily mean that I was not a Christian, okay? But it definitely, it definitely did mean that uh, the fruit of the Spirit was hindered in my walk with God, okay? It meant that I leaned a little bit more on my own understanding. I, I leaned a little bit too much on my own actions and therefore I held myself to a standard that God wasn't even holding me to, okay? And then guess what I uh, did? I held other people to that standard as well. So I didn't leave with love, didn't leave with compassion. I didn't know how to, why? I didn't understand who I was in Christ. And so I'm just gonna be really honest and transparent with you today. I believe that a lot of us are probably caught up more in the how, what, ooh, uh, uh, versus I'm in Christ, man. I think a lot of times we, we struggle with even lifting our hands in worship or singing songs like we just sang because we truly, it's not real in us. It, it's, it's not real. And I'm not here to tell you that that means you're a Christian or not a Christian or saved or not saved. I'm not even, I'm not even going there. I'm just saying that maybe we lack some revelation. So therefore, maybe we lack some life. We lack, we lack some hope. We lack some, lack some joy because we're not understanding the joy of his salvation, right? So, so here we go. We've been united with Christ, it changes our identity. And the more that we identify with something or someone, the more we become to look, we begin to look like it. Guys, look, if you're born into a certain house that identifies with a certain belief system, maybe it's a political preference, whatever it is, the more that you engage in that sort of environment, the more that you begin to reflect that environment more and more and more, because it's like your identity. It's, it's who you, you operate in. A lot of times when kids leave the house, they go to college or they get around, they really get thrown into a completely different environment and then they begin to change. And, and, and why? Well, they're being influenced by something else. They're beginning to identify with a different group of people. And here's the problem. In that scenario and in many other scenarios, if our identity is not grounded in Christ, that constant, as our environment changes, so will our identity. It's sort of like your Facebook algorithms. It's like the more that you click on things, the more that it feeds you that same thing. So then before you know it, you think that everybody has your viewpoint because that's all you see on Facebook or whatever medium you use. And uh, the thing is, is that there's a whole lot of people who don't. And then it's shocking whenever someone doesn't. Why? Why? Because you're identifying in a certain lane. And the same thing can happen with us in church. We can identify with a certain denomination. We can identify with a certain this or that. And what happens is it destabilizes us from our belief and our understanding that we are in Christ first before we're in a church, before we're in a family, before we're in anything, we're in Christ. And we've got to be sure about that. We've got to understand that. Because if not, things get a little, a little strange. So verse six, he says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. Now here's a really, this is just such a beautiful thing right here. When Jesus died over two, almost 2000 years ago, when he died, I want you to think about this right here as a timeline, okay? The creation to whenever Jesus wraps this thing up. Whenever he died, he paid the price for sin nature, for all the sins that we commit. He paid the price for it then, both retroactively and proactively, for all time. He paid the price. And, and what that does in your thinking as a believer is, it's no longer, I got saved and now if I mess up or if I sin, which spoiler alert, 
you're going to sin, all right? You're going to mess up. There's two different types of ways of talking about sin. One is sin nature and one are the sins that we commit. And, but let's not lessen what sins are. Sometimes people, like I just said, mistake. Can I be real with you? There's a certain part of my mind that says that's lessening what sin is. Oh, I just made a mistake. No, you start saying this, man, I sinned. Like, man, I actually, I did something that put Jesus on the cross. And that is one way to begin to kill sin in your life is the fact that whenever you actually call it what it is, it wasn't a white lie, it was sin. That was a sinful act. Now you don't have to get resaved. All right? It's not like, oh no, no. Why? Jesus died to pay the price for that. That's what removes the power of sin. That's what removes that weight of sin. Sin has lost its power, its hold, its influence on believers. Why? Because someone came in much greater and did something much more significant. We learned that last week. You remember the, the scale, all right? How much more does grace overcome uh, judgment? Um, so, so we are identified with Christ. We're united with him. Uh, and we are therefore united and with his crucifixion, with his death on the cross. And, um, and we reckon ourselves as being crucified when, with him when he was crucified. That might be kind of different for some of you to think. All right, you don't have to necessarily think about your physical body being crucified, but think about your old sin nature. That price was paid for a long time ago. And whenever you step out in faith and you step into, you, you step into something that's already been paid for. It's a wonderful thing. Verse six, the second part says, so that our, our old self is crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, which again is that sinful nature, might be done away with. It might be destroyed so that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died, again, to the sinful nature, has been set free from sin. So believers in the room today, I want, you to, let, I want to let you know that sin does not have power over you. All right, you've been set free from that. You, you are now outside of that nation and you are now in a new nation. Your citizenship has changed and therefore the old way of thinking, the old law system, all of that, does, it doesn't apply to you. The, the, the legal way that that sin nature used to operate, that kingdom, it doesn't apply to you. You're set free from that. You gotta think that because it's gonna affect the way that you live. But, but why are we set free? Because of Jesus. That's why we're set free. Not because of the way that you started acting. Not because of something that you, you recite every day. You're free because of Christ and what Christ is doing in you. Again, as we talk about sanctification, uh, it, it has to do with the conduct of a believer. Today, you're not gonna hear me get into like the do's and the don'ts. We, if we do that, what happens is we skip over the why, right? And we, we get to the do's and the don'ts. And that's what Paul's speaking to. He's like, why do we live this way? Why do we think this way? He's saying because of Jesus. Verse eight, now he's building this case. He's moving forward. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we're united, right? Verse nine, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery or lordship over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God, basically for the glory of God, he lives to God. And in the same way, we need to count or consider or think of ourselves, think of yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Again, the way that we think, we just said it whenever we started uh, from Sinclair, Sinclair, like I know him, Sinclair, (laughs) Sinclair Ferguson, he said, we must think of ourselves in a radical new way. Did you guys know that the way that we think, again, it's so important. It's, it's, it's gonna, it's this, this thing right here, it's like a battlefield. In this room right now, you're sitting there, you're looking at me, you're listening, some of you, I guess, hopefully still, and you're, you're, you're hearing these words that I'm saying. And for some of you, you're like, man, okay, I get what you're saying, but like, for some of you, it's like, why, does it, why is it a big deal? Like, why does it really matter? Like, tell me something that's gonna apply to my tomorrow. Like what's going to help me with my finances? Yeah. It doesn't matter if your finances are really good if you don't understand who you are in Christ. Like it, it, none of that matters. And so, so we've got to get this, but, but you're, still, you're still trying to reconcile some things in your minds. And some of you are on this end of the spectrum. You're like, yes, yes. But you're all sitting there like this. Right. You know, but what's going on? It's all in here. And every day that we live, guess what's going on? We might be going to work. We might be doing this or that. But man, there's this battle that's raging on the inside of us. And how we think is how, is how we act, how we believe it will translate. And so many people, a lot of times, are talking about what they're doing rather than who they are in Christ. They're talking about what they're doing or what somebody else is doing versus realizing that this is more of a belief system. This is more of a, a problem in that scenario, not because they, you know, they're sleeping around. The problem is not that they're sleeping around. The problem is something much deeper than that. You know? and, and what happens is you, churches get really, Christians, we get really consumed with those things and we get away from what really matters. And so this, Paul is bringing us back. And so, so we, we know that we're in Christ. We're, we're thinking new. We gotta be reminded of this daily. Daily. We never graduate past our need for the gospel, y'all. We, it's not like Jesus died on the cross and his sins were shed. We sing a little song, Jesus loves me, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then we move on. And it's like, well, I'm done with that. That's what we, we leaned into that heavily the first week whenever Paul was saying that the same way that we found Christ or the same way that, that we were born in Christ, the same way that this thing happened, that's how we also continue to grow in Christ, by looking back at the gospel, by looking back at what Jesus did and by relying on it with all that we are day in, day out till we die. Because without it, we don't have anything. And what happens, a lot of churches, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, I'm not like trying to rip churches. We can do the same exact thing. And in certain levels we have, which is we walk away from the basics because we think that we need to graduate into something else. Like, oh, that was freshman. Let's go to sophomore stuff. Not knowing that if you remove that, if you quit talking about it, what else do you have? You know, the Bible, if you take Jesus out of it, is, is pointless for us, guys. Proverbs, I hear people talk about, man, you know, if you read Proverbs every day, like, it'll, it'll help you. I mean, men have built businesses, they're atheists, but they've read Proverbs and they've done that. Like, it's really cool in one sense, but wow, what an indictment. Because they don't see Jesus in it. So if Jesus is not a part of it, what's the point? What's the po- there is none. We are still, like Paul said when he talked about if, if Christ didn't, if he wasn't resurrected, our faith is useless. Our faith is useless. And in the same way, our belief system is useless. If, if we get away from the gospel, our faith becomes prideful. We become cynical. We become hateful. 
We don't represent Jesus well because we're not anchored to this truth. We have to remain in Christ. We need to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he did for us. So based upon all of this, Paul instructs them in the next couple of verses. He says, verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Act like you believe, man. Act like what it is you believe and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Every single thing that you have, just offer it to him as a, as a tool to be used for his purposes. Verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Come on, guys. You're not under the law of sin anymore. You're under the grace of God. Let's live like it. Let's live like it. Let's live in power, not bondage. Let's live in freedom, not condemnation. So verse 15, he switches gears and he starts talking about this concept of being a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. So what it says, verse 15, what then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Kind of the same thing he said earlier, by no means, absolutely not. I love this statement by F.F. F. F. Bruce. He says this, to treat being under grace as an excuse for sinning is a sign that one is not really under grace at all. Doesn't that kind of just punch you in the stomach a little bit? I'll read it again. <laughs> to treat being under grace as an excuse for sinning is a sign that one is not really under grace at all. There's a lot of people that are looking for loopholes in the Bible to do what they want to do and to be who they want to be and to identify certain ways as they want to identify and to, and to, to they want to change the church structure and there's votes happening left and right. People are trying to, to re-engineer the scripture to, in, in order to abuse that grace. And, and at some point you have to say, are they really under grace at all? I think at times we may skate out from underneath the grace and we begin to live a life outside of the grace of God. I mean, it's so, it's so important that we get drawn back to center. And at times, guys, look, we're gonna lean heavy on one side or the other, just as people, we just, we're not perfect. So we're gonna kinda at times get in our own works and our own flesh, but man, we gotta come back to center. But then for some people, they go from, they, they had this legalistic mindset of God and, and how he operates. And then other people actually go all the way to this side and, and they begin to abuse that. And they say, man, we're, we're free from all law and any sort of standard. And then that's where they step into the abuse of God's grace. So some people don't lean on the grace of God enough and others lean on it too much when actually what it is, is by doing that, they're not really leaning on it at all, just in the same way. We've gotta be balanced, okay? So, Verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart, big words there, from your heart, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. The big idea is this, guys. Every single one of us in this room right now are either a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. We're either a servant of sin or a servant of righteousness. There's not really much in between. Whenever sin snaps its finger, do you listen? Do you submit? What about righteousness? What, what, what does it look like in your life? Because it can really begin to tell you something about the way that you live. Are we aware of it? 
Do we actually talk about ourselves that way? Do you pray that way? Lord, help me to be a slave, a, a, a servant, a bond servant, which is really a servant that chooses to remain submitted to the subjection of someone because they are good. We are bond servants of Christ. We're bond servants of righteousness. Did you know that? Like you, by, by placing your faith in God, you, you say, I am serving you with all that I am. Good and bad times, I'm, I'm with you because you're set free to do so. It's one thing to be justified by faith. It's another thing to walk in freedom. Last week, we talked about the whole Disney illustration, you know what I'm saying? Step into Disney world and people are like, yeah. And then for some people, they just kind of, well, they don't do this in reality, but in the illustration they do, they stand there and they don't move forward into Disney and, and, and experience all of the black magic that it has to offer and whatnot. <laughs> we went there a couple years ago. I didn't really, I wasn't like raised up on Disney too much. Um, by the way, they are coming out with a streaming service for all of you Disney lovers that uh, you can <laughs> That's just fresh in my head from Facebook. But anyway, um, some people step into Disney World and it's like, well, that'd be crazy if you just stand there. But many people in their walks with God, they get saved, they're justified by faith, man, they are excited about it, but then they never break free from a lot of the things that they grew up in. They never break, free. remember that, that culture, okay, from the other nation? They never like find a new culture. They never walk in that freedom. They still think and act like they are still, you know, in the old nation. And that's why, you know, here at Northwood, we have a few statements that we make. And one is that we wanna help people know God. That's a very broad statement because it's a very broad situation. We wanna help people know God. And, and in that, our, the second thing that we say is we wanna help people find freedom. Know God, find freedom. Because not only does God wanna save you, all right, from hell and, and redeem your life, but he also wants to restore you and heal you in every part of your being so you can walk in freedom and not walk with chains around your feet. And, and although, man, you're, you're saved, yeah, but are you free? Are you free? And that doesn't negate salvation. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that there is, there's so much more to God than just, just stepping just right in between. All right, I'm good. I'm good. But yet you have anger that just grips you. You have depression that makes you incapable of living a life of joy. You, 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 know, you just have fear that just cripples you all the time. You, you were abused and, and there's no healing in that. So even though you, you believe in God, it's like, I, I can't, I'm not able to deal with this. And so therefore I can't really step forward and be fruitful in the kingdom of God. And God wants you to, to live free. So why we do freedom groups here at this church. It's not a thing to do. It's, it's literally a lifeline. It's, it's to walk in freedom, get free, live free. And so small groups is another great environment for you to continue to, to walk out your salvation with other people as well to get free. Y'all, there's something powerful about hearing someone talk about how they were set free in a part of their life uh, and you actually still be standing in that rut or standing in that pit. And whenever you hear someone say, I was there 10 years ago, what does it do inside of you? Hope. It's faith in God's ability to bring me out of Egypt, okay? To bring me out of the world, to bring me out of... I heard people say this, you know, the children of Israel, they were, they were delivered from Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. The Israelites were, were free. God had, had uh, I mean, it was his people. And then they went into bondage. And then over time, they were basically conditioned and programmed to think like Egyptians, 
to think like slaves of the Egyptians, that they were programmed that way. So whenever they were set free, they didn't know how to act. They didn't know how to live. And so guess what had to happen? God had to bring law, which we're going to talk about next week. He, he had to bring more uh, uh, angles, come at it from different angles in order to help them and train them to understand how to live as free people. And y'all, we're in the same boat. Some of y'all, you're out of Egypt. But guess what happened? For many Israelites, they said, you know what? And this is for those of you that grew up in church, like me. <laughs> okay, you grew up in church. You get conditioned to something and then your eye begins to wonder. And then your heart begins to wonder. And then you begin to say, man, what, what if, like what's really going on over there, right? And, and it starts beginning, like there's curiosity that builds. And it's this, this sinful nature that begins to get drawn. But here's the deal. For those who were also delivered out of Egypt, who have the great testimony, I was just a wretch, you know, I murdered a lot of people. And now Jesus, like those are, you know, the really good stories that everybody shouts about, um, right? They get set free from Egypt, but then sometimes people look back and they say, was Egypt really that bad? Was it, I mean, at least I had something to eat every day. Like, at, well, at least, I mean, yeah, it was bondage, but there was structure in it. And I feel like, like maybe that bondage really wasn't that bad. Because a lot of times true freedom looks differently than this bondage. And we start getting things crossed up and what used to be free is now bondage and what used to be bondage is now free. And then all of a sudden we begin to, was it really that bad? That's what the Egyptians did. Was it really that bad? And so I just wanna say like, that's how the enemy works. Like that is deception. If somebody gets set free from prison, isn't that, isn't that ridiculous that they would be like, you know what, it wasn't that bad. The food, but you know, there was structure. Yeah, that's crazy. But y'all, we're in a new nation full of freedom. Let's not go back. Let's not think that it was something better than it really is because there's nothing there but death. 19, he says, I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. And I feel like that's pretty condescending, but whatever, we'll keep moving. <laughs> that was a joke but it's cool. <laughs> Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. The big thought there is that unrighteous living leads to more unrighteous living, but righteous living leads to more righteous living. All right? <laughs> okay, it's sort of like a slope, all right? And, and, and you're, you're either on one side or the other. But I do want to make this statement. Let's live for God with the same abandonment as we used to live for sin. Come on, some of you need to hear that. You're like, I was crazy in the world. I was nuts. And now you're in church and you're like, you know, like I'm civilized now. You, you might need to kind of revisit some of that uncivilized type of thinking because you should be as nuts about your life now in Christ, the freedom that you have, than you were about how the sin was in your life, right? Like, don't lose that, that fire, that passion for life, but now just divert it a little bit different direction. Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free, quote unquote, free from the control of righteousness, right? He, he flip-flops these words. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Question, 
What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? What fruit comes from that type of living? For some of you, you need to look back at what unrighteous living produced in your life and you need to ask the question, what, was it worth it? <laughs> like what I have in my hand now from what I, what I did, was it, was it worth it? Because the kingdom of the world paints that type of living in a very positive light. Paints it in a light that it's like, man, dude, yeah, I'm living life, living my best life. Like, yeah, you know, for five years until it all falls apart. You know, I say this, things whenever I was 20, 21, 22, and some of the guys I was rolling with, like there were certain things that I saw them living life and it was, it just looked funner. It, it just looked funner. And, uh, but what was fun whenever we were 20 is no longer fun when you're 34. It's, it's no longer fun. It, it's, it's, let me tell you something, it's not fun whenever you have multiple kids at 21 years of age and then you can't hold them and raise them and love them because they're halfway across the country. That's not living life, man. It's not living life. But what is, what is, that's what unrighteous living produces, broken homes. Let us not just take it lightly what, what the effects of sin look like. It's brokenness, it's, it's busted up families, it's busted up relationships, it's daddies who never got set free, who are now trying to be men to kids, but they're still kids in their own hearts and their own lives because they, they just, they don't know any better. Guys, look, let's not get mad at people for just doing what they've only ever learned. Let's pray for them, let's have compassion, let's, let's, let's help, let's go to the least of these. There's a lot of hurting people, why? Because that's what being a slave to unrighteousness produces. It's what it does. But slave, being a slave to righteousness produces good things. I'm not talking about materialistic things. That's not what I'm talking about when I say good things. It produces life in you. It, it heal, God heals you. He restores you. The things that you couldn't talk about five years ago without weeping because of the pain that you were going through, now you can stand up in front of people and share it because God has healed you. He's restoring you. It's a, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great cycle that he's, he's, the, he's created. Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? And he goes on in verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin, you've been set free from the power of it, all right? And have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of Jesus is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, that's good news, y'all. As we close today, I feel like every week that we teach the word every week that we talk about Jesus, what's really going on is we're sort of displaying or holding up two cups in front of all of us, even me, okay? Two cups and one is the cup of life. It's good, it's good news. And one is, it's a cup of death. It's the cup of poison. It's, it's, it's life or death. That's what I just said there. The wages of sin is death, but man, the gift of God is, is life. And in this place, all of us are looking at these two cups and we have a choice that we are making. For some of us, choosing the cup of life or death 
means choosing to follow Jesus or not. For some of you, you have been struggling for a long time in your belief in God, your faith in God. And for some of you, you feel like you've just completely lost your faith in God. Or rather, your faith has been diverted from God and it's now being placed into something else, yourself, whatever it is. And for you, it might be today the cup of eternal life or the cup of eternal death, the cup of choosing to follow Jesus or not. And I believe that God's already been drawing you. I believe that you're here because God has been drawing you. Uh, it's not how well I speak or what I do. It's actually all about God drawing you. It's his spirit inside of you that's, that's causing you to be dissatisfied with what the world has to offer and causing you to yearn for something more. That's what he's doing for some of you. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity in a second to say yes, to choose the cup of life. And still for those of us who have faith in God, you are a believer. If somebody asked you if you're a Christian, you'd say, yeah, I am. Still for all of us, we still have kind of the same decision because the cup of life is continuing to look at Jesus for who he is and what he has done and living a life that's grounded in the gospel, that's grounded in truth. But at times we begin to kind of lean over to the other cup. We begin to sip from this other cup. And, and it might not necessarily be unto loss of salvation, okay, or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm not going there, like to this whole thing of I've walked away from God or whatever you want to call it. You know, I'm, I'm talking about just living a life that's just not fruitful. It's just not living a life that, that God has for you to live. And we begin to partake of this other cup. We begin to, to sip on some more selfishness. We begin to sip on self-gratification. And before long, that that drink, that cup seems to be more fulfilling than the other. And for some of us today, we gotta be drawn back to center. We've gotta be drawn back to the cup of life and remain there. Because all that's, all that's remaining for you without it is pride, selfishness, and ultimately guys, come on, look, we know what the Bible says, it's destruction. So I believe there's two different types of people in this room today, those that are believers, and what I just described is you, and there's those of you that are far from God, you don't know him, you don't have a faith in him, and today you're gonna make a decision to do that. I don't wanna pray with all of us, no matter where we're at, that we make the right decision and follow Jesus, amen? Come on, let's pray. God, we focus our attention on you right now. And God, we thank you for your grace that's sufficient for us, that covers a multitude of sin. We thank you for sending Jesus to die a death for us, and now that we can, because of that death and because of his life, we now live a life in him. So today, God, for all of us, I pray that you help us to see with clarity who we are in you. Come on, if you're in this place and you don't know God, you're far from him, I'm gonna say a prayer. You don't have to pray exactly what I pray, but I would encourage you to, to say a prayer to your God, speak it out of your mouth. Say something like this, Father, I come before you humbly and broken. God, with all of my successes and the failures and all the, the stuff that, all the, the actions, God, and I lay it down before you. And God, I pray that you give me your righteousness. I pray that you forgive me of my sin. Change my heart. God, help me to be a slave to righteousness, not a slave to sin. To be a bond servant in your kingdom, not quote unquote free in the kingdom of the world. God, I want true freedom. And I know that true freedom is only found in you. So today I say yes to you. I agree with you. God, change me, renovate my heart and my life to live for you. God, for all of us in this place today, if we've been leaning to the other side and maybe we're beginning to drink from that cup of selfishness or that 
we're just beginning to kind of not look at ourselves as in Christ, but almost in ourselves. Lord, we just repent. God, we just pray that you would pull back the blinders. Let us rely on you. Let us trust in you because we are in you. We are in Christ. Father, we are overcomers. We're victorious. We have freedom from sin because we are in you. We're in Christ. And today we, we say that, we proclaim it in faith. We thank you for your goodness. God, I pray that today as we leave, God, that you would empower us by your spirit to be lights in dark places, to affect the environments that we walk in, not let the environments that we walk in affect us. Let us stand grounded in our faith in you, grounded in Christ. It's all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Northwood Church is one church with multiple locations. Uh, we have locations in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach, and we'd love to see you there. If you enjoyed this message and want to get more info on who we are, just head over to northwood.tv. And once you're there, you can check out all our past sermons and all the things that we're doing in South Mississippi. And even to, to give to support those efforts of reaching more people. Be sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with everything happening around Northwood Church. Thanks for watching. We hope to see you soon.